So today I want to talk to you, we're talking in this series why, and we're talking about different things, about, you know, God wants us to grow and how we grow, and, and uh, we're going to talk next week about how, to, how, do you, how do you find God's will for your life, because we've talked about planning, and, you know, there are always steps and directions you can take. Today I want to talk about why the Word of God is so important, and that may seem obvious. Uh, it's not very obvious in our world today. So I just want to talk about not all the aspects of the Word of God, but I think something that's very important for us to understand as we, as we, as we go understanding how God moves in our life and how he uses the word to transform us. God uses the word to change us. God uses the word to strengthen us. God uses the word to give us hope, to give us life. Uh, it's so vital, uh, but often if we're not careful for us, it becomes a book of rules. A book of don'ts. And we don't see the aspect of, of, of what it's about. We don't see the call uh, from the beginning that when God spoke, he called us into relationship. It's all about relationship. So, why is God's word so important? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that you're with us and we live in uh, these challenging times, these difficult times. And you have called us, just like you did Esther, for such a time as this. You knew the seasons that we would be in this, in this world and in this life. And Lord, we pray that you would use each of us. This would be a week that you would use us for your glory. And we, we pray, Lord, for peace in our nation, uh, as, even as there's great division. Uh, we pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon us in Jesus' name. I've got a theory about what's going on, and um, so this is not the Bible. This is Randy's opinion, okay, that the extreme left that has been doing a lot of burning and pillaging over, the, over this last year and the extreme right are both being funded by the same people. And they are deliberately, whether it's the Russians or the Chinese or other people, they're d- deliberately using the social platforms that are actually work pretty well with them to foment uh, division. So we need to pray for unity. We need to have unity in the body of Christ. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. God after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. So th- this is important. God spoke. Because everything happens because God spoke. God spoke long ago. In these last days has spoken to us in his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory. And the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the writer of Hebrews begins with saying that God spoke. And that's so important. Because God God is the transcendent creator. That means that God exists outside of his creation. God is not 
bound by his creation. He exists outside of his creation. Now, he can enter into his creation and he can interact with his creation because it's his creation. He can do whatever he wants. But God exists outside of creation. So if God didn't speak, there wouldn't be any way for us to know. We'd have no way to know him. We'd have no way to discern him. But yet he has revealed himself and that he spoke to reveal himself. He spoke to Adam and Eve. We know that they walked with God in the cool of the garden of the day. And we just see this throughout. He he spoke to Abraham. He spoke to him as as a man. He also spoke to him in a dream as a as a smoldering pot that where he was the covenant keeping God. Uh, he spoke to Moses at the burning bush. He spoke to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Samuel, Nathan. He spoke to the prophets. One of the interesting stories of the Bible is that he even spoke through a donkey, which gives me hope. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. In these last days, Someone asked me last week at a funeral that I was at last week, are these the last days? And I said, yes. And you need to understand, they have been the last days since Jesus was born. So what does this mean? Are we in the last of the last days? Uh, Yes. We're closer than we've ever been, just like today on my birthday. I'm closer to death than I've ever been. I'm one day closer, which also means I'm one day closer to my reward. <laughs> so we, we have been waiting. We have been in the last days for these 2,000 plus years. And just because America is in a pickle doesn't mean that the Lord is coming back tomorrow. One of the things that we tend to do as Americans is that we think God is operating his his theological clock through America. And he's not. He's operating his theological clock today through his church, and his church is not America. It is a... and, And... you think, well, the church is in trouble. Well, in a lot of places in the world, the church is doing fantastic. And sometimes where they have the greatest persecution, they are doing the best. The church is growing in Iran. People are coming to Christ. The church is growing in the immigrants that fled ISIS and have flowed into Germany and France and Italy and it has created tremendous opportunity for ministry and people are coming to Christ. So, uh, <laughs> just because America is, is having trouble doesn't mean that, well, the Lord's going to have to come back. I've, I don't know how many times, well, we're in such a bad situation, the Lord's going to have to come back. No, he doesn't. It doesn't mean he's any closer, but that it doesn't mean he can't come back tomorrow or today either. There's not anything that has to happen for Jesus to come back. If your theology says, well, you know, Israel's got to do this, or the temple's got to be rebuilt, uh, all those systems are wrong. (laughs) To some degree, Jesus is coming back. You know, here's what it says. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when he's coming back. You better be ready. And you ought to live with a sense of urgency and a sense of of also of preparation for the future. You've got to put them both together. 
You live with urgency that I need to tell everybody I know that they may not have another chance to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I need to tell them that. I need to let them know you need, you need to know Jesus. But that's not the only reason why you need to know him, just so you can escape hell. So he's spoken to us through his son, through whom he made the world. I love that. I love the fact that Jesus is the word that creates the world. So in the, in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit, I, the only way I can think of it this way, it's like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they plan it, and then Jesus said it. And when Jesus, Jesus he is the Word, his Word is the creative power of God. When Jesus said, let, there was instantly, instantaneously. So he spoke the worlds into existence. Jesus created the worlds. He created everything by his word. And he upholds all things through the word of his power. Colossians says, by him all things hold together. He's the substance of all things. He is the, he is the unknown quantity in physics that is holding all things together. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Just that original let is holding the world together. It exists because of his word. And I think this is important. You need to get a hold of this. If that word is able to keep the universe from unraveling, he has the power to hold you together too. If with one word he can create the universe and hold it together, all the other words that have been spoken for our benefit so that he can hold you together and he can give you something to hang on to, in him all things hold together. Verse 3, and he's the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. So when you ask the question, what is God like? God's like Jesus. Because Jesus represents what God is like. So John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. The glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus came so that we would have a greater understanding of the nature of who God is. And how do we know who God is? Because we see Jesus. What, what is God like? Well, <laughs> God loves you so much he sent his own son to die for you. You don't need much more than that. Just get a hold of that truth. Get a hold of that truth. Build your life on that truth. That's what we call the gospel. That is the good news. God loves you so much that Jesus came and died for your sins so that you could be a part of his eternal family. That's the good news. If you never knew anything more than that, that's, that's, that's the word you need. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Jesus lived a sinless life, died our death. We've talked about this a lot. He bore our sin. He defeated death and rose again. Then he went back to the, to the Father and sat down. Now, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, there were no chairs in the temple because the priest, when he offered a sacrifice, didn't get to rest. Because you know what? 
he had to just keep on offering sacrifices because the Old Testament sacrificial system was a layaway system. You were making payments. But the final payment was never made until Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Telestai is the word. It, it means, you know, we, we, the English, we get it is finished. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to think of it. It's like, that's it. That does it. It's finished. So Jesus, because he's offered the final sacrifice, the, the final sacrifice for sins, the complete sacrifice for sins, the complete sacrifice for your and my sins. You get that? The complete sacrifice has been offered. It's finished. Hebrews chapter 4. He again fixes a certain day, saying through David, after so long a time, just as he has said before, today if you hear his voice. So God wants to speak to you today. Do not harden your hearts. In other words, don't resist what God wants to speak to you today. For if Joshua had given them rest, Joshua who was the leader of Israel, once they, when they got to the promised land the second time, after they got there the first time and rebelled, Joshua led them into the promised land. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who's entered his rest has also himself rested from his works as God did from his. So first of all, he's talking about when the Israelites got to the promised land. If you read this whole chapter... When they got to the promised land, they weren't willing to go in. They rebelled against God in unbelief. They did not believe God's promises for them. They did not believe that God was going to fulfill his promise to take care of them, be with them, and deliver them from their enemies. This was God had promised them. He said, I'm going I'm to be with you. And I'm going to defeat all your enemies before you. So they get to the edge of the promised land, and they, they send in spies, and they get a bad... Ten of the spies come back and say, oh, it's a, it's a land that devours its, its people, and there's giants there. We can't go in. Joshua, Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, we can take it. God will do it. Let's believe God. They refused to believe God. They refused. They rebelled against God. So God said, okay, all of you that have rebelled, because they said, our, our children will be consumed by this wilderness. He said, guess what? It's the children that are going to take it. Because all of you unbelievers are going to die in the wilderness. For 40 years, they all died. That's a lot of funerals a day. They had seen God do incredible things. They saw the 10 plagues. They lived through the 10 plagues. With the final plague, death. They saw the deliverance of the lamb's blood on the door that they were preserved through the blood of the lamb. They saw that. They saw Israel, in a sense, cast them out and say, get out of here. And they got out and they got trapped up against the Red Sea. God sent them up against a barrier that they had to trust him to go through because it was just the beginning. 
They got to the edge of the Red Sea, the armies behind them, and they walked through on dry land. God parted the Red Sea. They saw that water pile up and the land dry up. And they got to the other side and they worshiped and they praised God. And then, then they made it to Sinai. And they, they see God. They can see a visible representation of God on the mountain as Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments. And even while that's happening, they're building the golden calf. They, but they saw God. They saw the Ten Commandments. They saw manna fall from heaven. They saw manna on the ground for them to collect to live. They saw water come out of rocks when they didn't have water to drink. They saw the manifest presence of God, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But that's, they still did not believe God. They did not trust God. Their unbelief. So he says to us, be careful, be diligent, verse 11, therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest. The rest in what? The, the rest in God's promise. The rest in what he said. The rest in believing. What are we entering into? We enter into the rest of the gospel. The, we, be, we believe. We're, be diligent to enter that rest. I, that's an, you know, I love the word of God. And I love that. It's basically saying work to rest. <laughs> be diligent. What do you have to do to be diligent? It's, it's kind of it's like saying get in there. Get in there. Get in there and rest. <laughs> Fight your way through. Whatever it takes. Whatever you got to do to rest. Get in there and rest. Rest in God. Trust God. Be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. That rest for them was to enter the promised land and believe the promises of God and enter to that salvation. That rest for us is to enter into the complete work of Christ on the cross. To enter into sal- what we use as salvation. And salvation just doesn't mean to be saved from sins. It means to be saved to life. It's, it's, it's the whole package. So we're saved. So, so that for us it is that resting in the work of Christ on the cross, his forgiveness, his, the hope that we have now. Do we have a hope of heaven? Yeah, and we have it now. We have a living hope, and we have heaven. He said, let's, let's keep entering into the rest. Let's believe that God will take care of us and give us victory over our enemies. Death, hell, the grave, Satan, sin. That in Christ, he has promised us victory. He said, be diligent to enter that rest. Let's keep believing that Christ's work was sufficient to save us. Fight to, see, the fight of faith is to believe the right thing about God and the right thing about yourself. The fight of faith is that you have to fight to believe because there's going to be days when you're going to have to fight to believe that God loves you because you don't like you very much. You can't believe God would love you because you know what a putz you are or a knucklehead if we refer back to a couple other sermons. You know. So you don't feel love. You don't feel like you deserve love. 
but we don't recognize it's because of the complete work of Christ on the cross. We have to recognize that. We rejoice in that. We believe that Christ's work was sufficient to save us. We keep believing that he's going to defeat our enemies, even death, the last enemy, death. We keep believing he's going to take care of us. He's not going to just take care of us now. He's going to take care of us eternally. So that was the introduction for this verse. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's living and active. It means it has life in it. It's, it's not a, when you read the word of God, you'll find if you read the word of God and you read the word of God to, to, to discover the relationship you have with God and understand how he loves you and what he's accomplished for you and how wonderful he is and how marvelous he is. When you read the word of God, you'll find that it is alive and active because you can read the same verse a hundred times and on the hundred and first time you look at it and go, wow, I never saw that before. And a lot of times it's what you need. I, often people come to me after sermon and say, pastor, that, that really ministered to me when you said such and such and such. I'm thinking, I didn't say that. But if it ministered to you, great. Because that's the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God is I can read a verse and it hit 25 people in 25 different ways. That's the power of the Word of God. That's why it's so important that we, we look at the Word because in it is life. It is the living Word of God. It's living it and it gives us life. I love that. The division of soul and spirit. The soul is, when you think of the soul, the soul is your mind, will, and personality. Your mind, will, and emotion. In other words, what, who you think of who you are. That which is born of the flesh and has been worked out in you through your life, through your experiences. So your kind of your, you know, you, so your personality, who you are, that's, that's your soul. And then your spirit, which is eternal. So you've, you've got a soulish part of you, you've got a, you've got a spiritual side of you. So the Spirit of God is able to discern that which is personality and soul and may feel like spirit to you, and that which is really eternally and which is really spiritual. And it's often very difficult for us to discern that. Both joints and marrow. So... The end, of, the end of each bone is uh, where the, the joint is, and that is a very tough part of, your, of, your, of that bone. And then inside, they probably didn't understand when they wrote that, that the marrow was so important. <laughs> uh, that, but that marrow is what, inside that marrow is what is creating your blood vessels, and not blood vessels, blood cells, red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets. Uh, so... God's able to help us through the, get through the hard stuff and the soft stuff. <laughs> the hard ends and the soft marrow. Something that's able to pierce down through both of those, the Word of God. And able to judge. I think this is probably the most important of all. Able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the Word of God is able to discern your intentions 
which you don't know, but you think you know. Because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else, no man can know it. You don't, you know, and we often say, follow your heart. Don't do that. Because your heart's going to trick you. Your heart will lead you astray. So you don't know what your intentions are. In other words, you don't know what the motive. You may do something like, you can do something that seems like a good something to do, but the motivation, let's say, I might say, I'm going to help, I'm going to help a family that's in need. Okay? And so I sacrificially give an amount of money to this family in need. And at the same time, that can be either a good thing or a bad thing. Because I can be doing it out of the right intention of my heart, or I can be doing it out of, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. I mean, Jesus said we even tend to pray that way. He said these people want to pray in public. They want to pray in such a way that they get attention. It's we don't understand our hearts. That's why we need the Word of God. The Word of God, that spoken Word of God is so powerful to us because it helps us discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Why? Because we're prone to drift. Hebrews 2.1. For this reason, we must, must pay closer attention to what we have heard. And this means what we have heard from Jesus. Not from angels, but from Jesus. We need to pay attention to what Jesus said to us and that he came to save us and he came to give us the good news and he came to die for us. We need to pay attention to that so that we may not drift away from it. I don't think, that's probably not a true statement, but it just feels this way to us. Okay, let me say it this way. I don't think we've ever lived in a time where there was a greater cultural pull against the believer. Now, every, the, the New Testament church had to deal with it in Rome, and, and Rome was wicked, and Rome was tough, and they were dealing with, with the pull against the culture. But the amount of information and the amount of imp, input, the amount of, <laughs> the, just the amount of sludge we're swimming through is so much that we're, it, it tends to push us off course. We get it on television, and we get it on social media, and we get it on television shows. I mean, you can't have a television show that, that doesn't display alternate lifestyles in a, you know, here's the, you know, the quirky gay person that's going to save the day, and then, of course, here's the Christian that is belligerent and, and mean <laughs> You know, and so, so this is our culture. So we're just we're just submerged in, in every show and every in 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 Facebook and everything that's happening. So, so it's pushing us against the truth of God's word. So we have to we have to continually be making God's word the authority in our life. This is what I believe God's word says, and I need to stand on what God's word says. It doesn't mean I have to stand against those things, but I need to stand in my own mind. I need to stand for truth. I need to try to stay where I am in Christ. We need the word to keep us on course. We're, we're prone to unbelief, just like the Israelites. We're prone to unbelief. Take care, brethren, Hebrews 3.12 that there not be any one of you of an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. 
but encourage one another day after day as long as it's called a day so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're prone to being deceived. I, I think we ought to cut Eve a break, really, because we're no better. We need the Word of God to penetrate through this deception. Only the Word of God is capable of penetrating in our minds through the ability for us to, to be deceived, to be brought into unbelief, and to drift away. The, only the Word of God can, can show you with clarity, you are wrong. <laughs> and we need that. We, the Bible says you also need the body of Christ. You need other people that while it's tall today, other people can say to you, hey, you need people in your life that can say to you, hey, what are you doing? Aren't you a follower of Christ? We don't do that. You don't do that. We don't do that. Stop doing that. But, but the amount of drift and unbelief causes people to think, I can do what I want. Well, you can but we ought to be doing what he wants. John Piper says this, sin whispers through the desires of the flesh and the rationalizations of the mind. Your only hope of future happiness is to have an abortion. It whispers that you'll not have a chance in the future if you don't cheat on this test. It says that you won't be noticed and liked if you don't dress provocatively. It says you'll lose the one person who seems to care for you if you don't compromise your sexual standards. It says you won't have job security if you speak up about the dishonest practices at work. It says your life will be wasted in this relationship, uh, in this relationship if you don't get a divorce. It says that only a fool would go on looking weak instead of getting some kind of revenge. What is our hope? Our only hope is that there's something sharp enough and powerful enough to penetrate through the deception and shed light on my thoughts and intentions. The Word of God is our only hope. The good news of God's promises and the warnings of His ju judgment are sharp enough and living enough and active enough to penetrate to the bottom of my heart and show me that the lies of sin are indeed lies. That's why the Word of God is so important. But I have to finish this. And I need just another minute or two because this isn't so important. So then the next verse says this. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. With whom we have to give an account. There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare. It's hard not to read that and think. Well, there you are. You've been found out for just how weak and filled with sin you are. God hasn't missed anything. You have no private thoughts. Have you thought, of that? Have you thought that? You have no private thoughts. You have no private moments. Everything in your life is laid bare. You're caught. You're guilty. What are you going to do? Then Hebrews 14 says this. Therefore, so he's saying, because of all this, and because we need to stand on the word of God, and because there's nothing secret and there's nothing hidden, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, he said, you're caught, your number's up, 
God knows how you are, but because we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That's the difference. We were tempted and we sinned. He was tempted and he didn't sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's saying, you know, when, when you interact with the Word of God and the Word of God lays bare what a sinner you are, the tendency, we want to run and hide, but there's no place to hide. He says, don't, don't run and hide. Run to him. Don't run away. Run to the throne of grace. Run, run to the throne of mercy, for there you'll find grace and help in a time of need. Hey, he knows how weak you are. That's why he sent Jesus to die for you. He knows that you're a sinner. That's why he sent Jesus to save you. He says, don't run away. That's what the enemy, the enemy would say, run. If people find out what you're like, God knows what you're like. And he says, hey, come here. Hey. And he wants, he wants to gather us to himself. You see, here's the thing about the Word of God. It's better to know a little bit of the Word and believe it than to know a lot of it and not believe it. Did you know, you think about the early church. You know what they had? I love the story of the gathering demoniac. Okay, the gathering demoniac, he's got thousands of demons, weird story. Jesus casts the demons out. They run into the pigs. The pigs kill themselves. Okay, so what was the good of that? And the gathering demoniac is sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. He has to get used to wearing clothes. That's a new thing to him. He's clothed and in his right mind. And he says to Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no. There, I don't know any other place where somebody said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, no. But here's a man who's just been delivered of thousands of demons. And he hadn't been to Bible school or anything. And he's just seen Jesus for about 30 minutes. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, no, no. You just go back to your people and tell them what I did for you. That's all, all he knows. This is all he knows. Jesus, the Son of God, changed my life. Amen. That's all he knows. And Jesus says, that's your word. Go do that. You see, if you'll, be, if you'll believe a little word from God, Amen. it'll change your life. Big changes are built on little promises, if you'll believe, because they have. You know what's behind that? The creative power of God. It's like, it's like jumping onto a freight train, <laughs> because the power is there, and you're just saying, I believe. Oh, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. I believe he ascended the Father, and I believe he did it all. Because he declared it, that he loved me. Amen. 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 Let's stand. It's on my birthday, I get to preach long.
Happy birthday to me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word that raised us from the dead. Thank you for the word that changed the course and direction of our lives. We received it. We believed it. And you, you've given us eternal life. You've given us life. Thank you, Lord, for your word. That you're a speaking God. Speak to us today. Let us hear your word today and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hope you have a great week.